The <coughs> theme for the afternoon talk is what is the difference between mindfulness, meditation and uh, concentration. <coughs> I will endeavour to uh, give some exploration from place and point of experience with regard to these uh, uh, rather important uh, areas and also the interrelationship and connection uh, between uh, all, all three. And each one is mutually supportive. So to take uh, mindfulness for the moment and in uh, making reference to these explorations with a comment on experience, I am uh, endeavouring to stay as connected as I can with uh, the Buddha's responses uh, in this uh, area, just to give a little extra weight of authority here. <coughs> um, so sometimes what you hear may not be what some of the conventional definitions are but everybody is entitled to a view so Christopher's view is as good as anybody else's <laughs> so here we go with mindfulness mindfulness is the moment or moments in which we as human beings as it were shed light upon something to see it that's all it, it reveals it doesn't change, it doesn't transform, it doesn't have any inherent power to it. It's not an answer to our prayers, it doesn't resolve stress, it's not an, uh, a means which guarantees a consequence or an end. This is not mindfulness. It doesn't have that power nor authority to it. Mindfulness reveals, it sheds light on. My eyes are closed as a small example and then in the moment that the little movement of the eyelid up a centimetre, in the very moment it reveals, in this case it reveals a group of human beings, it reveals light, it reveals colour. So mindfulness reveals. What it reveals can only occur essentially in six areas. There are no seven. Eyes. Mindfulness of the seeing. Mindfulness of the hearing. Second. Mindfulness of the smelling. Third. Mindfulness of the tasting. Mindfulness of the touching. So the five senses. Then there is the, the mindfulness we might say in general terms of the inner life and that includes mindfulness of the relationship to the past mindfulness is not an ideology of being in the present moment all the time not in the Buddha Dharma here so the word mindfulness carries with it sati or smriti <coughs> it carries with it the tone of remembering. 
And there are things clearly for you and I in the daily life which we need to remember. And therefore it is appropriate and extraordinarily important for human beings to be able to turn the mindfulness away from the present moment to the past to see what we can learn from the past, what we can discover from the past, what will help us in the present. And mindfulness, therefore, has a function to shed light, to give attention to what was. <coughs> if we make mindfulness into an ideology, it will be the ideology of it, current one, is be in the present moment without judging or being non-judgmental. Too much in the present will begin to block out the value and the support that we can draw from the past. We need the past. It's a foolish ideology to say there is only the present, there is no past and there is no future. There's not a human being on this earth, not a creature on this earth can live like that. So sometimes our looking at the past that means what we remember in this case, shedding light on that will contribute to helping us to understand the present. In the exploration of that here, at times, either intentionally or unintentionally, we, you and I, without exception, will find our attention going to the past. And there are plenty of opportune times when we recognize this going to the past, it's no point. It's just a habit. One is bored with the meditation. One wonders what the hell am I doing here? Especially the first day. My health warning, it could be the second and third day, but first day, there. So when we are bored with the present, or when the present is not as we want it to be, the mind will still go somewhere, and a common escape route is into memory, to indulge in what was there. And if there is a habit of it, the habit will easily get stronger as we get older. The voice of experience. <laughs> I'm in the white-haired club. <laughs> Somebody said to me, I saw Christopher the other day. I hadn't seen him for years. He's gone really grey. I said, grey? <laughs> they were the old days. <laughs> I'm in the Father Christmas Club. <laughs> so sometimes in the passage of the time uh, there, the present is living, of course it is. The present is vital. It has an extraordinary energy to it. But it's not an energy to it which is one which is trying to block out the value of turning the attention to the past. There are much 
in the way of experiences from the past. There is much in the way of insights from the past. There is much which we can learn from. And it can be in this mindfulness going to the past, and that might be yesterday, it might be last week or last month or last year. Some, with some old experiences which are important to us, they could be profound, spiritual, mystical experiences. They could be a great time of pleasure and joy. They could be an experience of trauma and terror and anxiety. Sometimes, some of those strong experiences do keep re-arising in the present. It is not that you and I are intentionally wanting to have those experiences but there's some strong memory coming and it's usually not always but usually an indication that there is insight and understanding that is required for this experience to be clear and at peace with it in other words if something keeps reoccurring keeps coming back it's usually a sign something needs to be understood. We need to be clear about something. And because we're not clear about it, this is where the meditation comes in, this is where the concentration comes in, this is where the inquiry comes in, this is where the reflection comes in, and much more. When we're not clear about something, it will tend to keep renewing itself. The Buddha's language keeps re-becoming, that's the word, it keeps re-becoming because it's not resolved. So, that, sometimes people have an idea of um, um, meditation, especially in uh, the, the, the dear old West, in, frankly, new kids on the block with regard to meditation, forgive me, but... So sometimes we come in to meditation and I hear it uh, a lot in my duties as a meditation teacher. Oh, I'm coming to meditate because I hear meditation will give me peace of mind. Oh, you'll be lucky. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming to meditation because I want to... Uh, uh, have a more quiet inner life. I come to um, 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 meditation so I can be really uh, compassionate and forgive that person who I want to kill or whatever uh, it, it, might, it might be there. So these wonderful ideas about what meditation is going to do for us uh, there. It's not what meditation's about. Uh, we're thinking meditation is going to produce these wonderful consequences, whatever they might be. We have some image or idea. Meditation, that means a sustained mindfulness, a dedicated mindfulness. I'll talk about a bit more of this in a minute. Is to get human beings to face your existence. That's what meditation is about. It's not offering a picnic. 
And therefore the process of meditation is to face this life straightforwardly and clearly with all the stuff and the shit that goes on with it. That's what meditation is about. And sometimes in that process or exploration of uh, uh, meditation, it genuinely can feel like all hell is breaking loose. In fact, hell could even seem like a holiday camp compared to meditation. And so sometimes when we're in the silence and stillness, for some there is an opportunity, that's an easy one, an opportunity in a way, finally in the inner life, for something to kind of breathe. So Sonia this morning when I spoke about the mindfulness of breathing, it's not only the in-breath and the out-breath, but sometimes it is the breathing, what I mean is, things which we have forgotten, which we have neglected, which we haven't realised the importance of (coughs) in all sorts of joyful and pleasurable and painful ways. Sometimes just the silence and the stillness gives the chance, the opportunity in which there is the absence of this busy, busy life. Busy, being busy is a neurosis. It's a mental sickness, by the way. There's nothing good about it. And in the quietness of the being, in the non-busy life, that gives some opportunity for some movement to take place, to feelings and thoughts and ideas there. That movement may land anywhere in the body, anywhere. So it's not unusual for a person to say, why why have I got a headache? Uh, etc. Why are my knees hurting? Why have I got this pressure uh, uh, in my back? I didn't have a headache yesterday afternoon. My knees weren't hurting yesterday afternoon. I didn't feel any special tension in my shoulders. And now I sit and this is what I'm having to face. (coughs) Hallelujah, you've just landed. And in that experience of all of that, something is going on in the dynamic of the mind-body and it's standing out clearly and the reason is mindfulness is making it clear this needs attention. That's what it's saying. This needs looking at. This needs some exploration. Because when things are hidden from consciousness, when we're not feeling, it's far more dangerous and problematic for a human being than when we are feeling. We may not like the feeling. We may naturally want it to go away as quickly as possible. And we may think meditation is going to be a quick route to its disappearance, maybe. But what is important is the very fact of this movement, the headache, the shoulders, the knees, the states of mind, the tension, is being felt, is the first step of the mindfulness 
to knowing what you have to work with. is to make clear what was not clear, extremely clear. For some people, it manifests through the physical experience. But not for everybody. Not every experience, every feeling, every thought is felt in the body. No matter what they tell you, it's not true. So, in that, with the instructions today... <clears throat> there in this precious discourse uh, uh, of the Buddha much loved in these last uh, two and a half uh, millennia the instruction is as you will listen to mindfully breathing in mindfully breathing out but <coughs> there is a certain intentionality with it there. and it is worthwhile in your meditations to try to remember the intentionality both as a fact and also as a symbolic representation. I'll try to explain to you. It says, mindfully, mindfully breathing in, mindfully breathing out. Mindfully breathing in, knowing, this is the intention, when the breath is long, knowing when it's short. That application of the mindfulness with a rather firm and clear intention to know the breath. So sometimes it's long. We feel the breath breathing in, going deep down into the body, sometimes down into the lungs. We experience some expansion with the in-breath and then we feel some slight contraction settling down of the body with the out-breath. And sometimes the breath is short. Sometimes it feels like we're hardly drawing in the breath. It's not that one is better than the other. It's just this is what the experience uh, is. And it's part of our exploration to see if we can just stay with the experience. I would not regard being with the experience of the breath as the biggest thrill of existence. <laughs> I wouldn't put it in some special transcendent category. In an extraordinary way, it's rather neutral. There's nothing particularly thrilling about it, just the breath coming in and going out. There is nothing particularly terrifying or awful about it. It's just an in-breath and just an out-breath. However, it's a big however, if a person doesn't connect or, shall we say, understand the, and have the capacity to stay with the ordinariness of life called breathing in and breathing out, the reaction against that will be a history of addiction, habit, consumerism, 
pursuit of pleasure, maximizing of positive sensations, and resistance and difficulty in dealing with the difficult. That's the consequence. That's the consequence of it. Can I as a human being face and be in touch with the bare experience of breathing in and breathing out, so to speak, (coughs) give it a little bit of drama, as if it was your last meditation, your last breath uh, there. And it might well be that the last experience of our life will be, hopefully, mindful and calm and clear of our very last out-breath. As I said a couple of times, I will not be pleased if I die in my sleep. (laughs) not spending most of my life engaged in mindfulness of breathing in and out. (laughs) Incredibly disappointing to die in my sleep. Gosh, I'm going to be right there if I can on the last out-breath with it at the end. God, I'm furious. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So sometimes in the exploration of the mindfulness of the breathing uh, in and out, and sometimes we have situations in our life where we are not sure how close we are to the end there. And I have a small <coughs> reminder of uh, this. Um, I j- just came back from uh, northern Israel and um, I have this uh, Agents for Change program. The... the um, the subtext of it is um, the endeavour to bring an end to capitalism, but, but I call it agents of change, so I don't worry people too much. And so I invited in the group of people <laughs> um, uh, some, uh, the, uh, the group of us, people to speak for, it was an engaged, a lot of engagement and discussion, for half an hour a person had half an hour to give a talk on a theme and take some questions. So about altogether over the days, around 14 people. Actually, superb talk, really insightful talks. a privilege to uh, listen. One woman, she gave a short uh, report, uh, or story uh, there, that she said in 1982, she... Um, missed the boat from, I think, from Java to Bali. Some of you may have been to uh, uh, Bali in Indonesia uh, there. And a couple of guys said to her, look, we'll take you across in our small rowing boat uh, uh, there. And while rowing uh, across, she said there was a moment, a period, when she couldn't see the land ahead, couldn't see the land behind, but then the sea really started getting really rough. And these guys, using a couple of saucepans or buckets or whatever, just scooping out the water <laughs> there. And she said to me, she started, she really thought she might die and drown. And she started 
looking for a passport to put around her neck in her pouch uh, there, so at least she could be identified <laughs> anyway obviously they got enough water out and they got across and they got to Bali I was listening with incredible interest and curiosity and the reason being exactly the same thing happened to me in 1969 I missed the boat going across there were a couple of guys there they said we'll take you across I looked at the water I thought it's a bit risky it was already choppy as it was there I'll study I want to get back back to Bali and they got in the boat with them they're rowing away there I'm sitting there this young guy 24, 25 years of age then the water starts coming in they're scooping it out can't see any land any, anywhere and, and got across and, some, and I thought I never even thought about passport I couldn't care less, <laughs> couldn't care less anyway but something else but sometimes those situations if we can we breathe in we breathe out we breathe in and we breathe out it helps to keep steady in the crisis it's an incredible resource it's an agent to keep steady in the face of terror in the face of the of the un- unknown right in one's face and not knowing what might happen next every single breath that you give attention to may well be a breath which keeps you sane in the most difficult situation you don't imagine you're spontaneously immediately just go to the breath panic can set in the legs very very quickly and in the mind so our practice though ordinary though nothing special about it but it's that kind of training of the mind for situations of which are really challenging some information is given to you and you know it has the potential to make you really afraid really worried for somebody that you love dearly or whatever it might or a health issue or whatever sometimes we breathe in we breathe out we breathe in we breathe out and why do we do that because we've got a practice of knowing this is the saving grace this contributes to keeping me steady in the midst of terror and that's you know part of the practice despite the ordinary ordinariness of it it's just for the moment just for the occasion of the unexpected that comes to us and even in the small things just learning to be patient just learning to be calm so that we don't raise our voice when we know it's not helpful just learning to say the right words because we've managed to take two or three breaths beforehand before we open our mouth before we've picked up the phone before we've written something in that text message we remember to take two or three breaths just to get it a bit more clear we might write a message and we've taken two or three breaths and we think I think I'll wait till tomorrow before I send it or even better till next lifetime (laughs) so this is the mindfulness of breathing in mindfulness of breathing out as a really good support and agent. It becomes the meditation 
in the context of what is being referred to here, it is when there is the quiet capacity to sustain the mindfulness of breathing. That's one aspect. So what I mean by that is, mindfulness of breath, as I mentioned, sheds light. It just reveals in the moment. It reveals in the moment what was, it reveals in the moment what might be, the three fields of time. When it's a meditation, it is the capacity to sustain the mindfulness. So that doesn't mean to say that you and I have to put an expectation, oh, I have to be really mindful, 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 mindful. Very, very unlikely. I'm, frankly, I've not met a human being who is mindful all the time. It's a, an impossible aspiration. But sometimes we might come, say, to the closure of the meditation. We look back over that half an hour, that 45-minute period. So we're bringing mindfulness to the recent past, last, that last meditation. Yeah. And just to check in with ourselves in that period of time was the sense there that it was meditative. That's all. Was there a sense there of quiet presence? And that meditative quiet presence being connected uh, there in a fairly regular way over the half hour, 45 minutes, then, then we call this a meditation. So if, for example, the object as it is today and through the days of mindfulness of the breath, and there's a general sense it was the primary event through the period. You know, mind will wander, knees will come in, daydream will come, but the primary sense was one was primarily with the breath, primarily feeling fairly grounded and centered through it all. Then we call it a meditation. Still allowing, like when the wind blows through the, the leaves and the trees and all the greenery, and trees move around, but there's a certain kind of steadiness which is present there. With the mindfulness of breath, the encouragement as well is the experiencing uh, of the body. And if you find with the experience of the body, it tends to keep going to the same place. Usually because the sensations or the pain is stronger, the headache, the shoulders, the knees, or wherever, whatever part of the uh, body, sometimes we do not realize that the tendency keeps going there. We think, oh, the sensation in my head or my knees is why I'm going there. But it might just be the habit. And the habit goes to the location and it's the habit which is taking us there more than the experience itself. 
And when it's the habit moving us to that location again and again, the habit is carrying the memory of painful sensations. And when the habit's carrying the memory of the painful sensations, what are they going to do? They're going to land in the painful sensations. They have just been doubled. Thank you very much. Hard enough dealing with them just by themselves. But to have a habit of painful memory, painful headaches, painful knees, painful whatever it might be, have a habit of it, and have it as well, put the two together, and just doubled the headache, doubled the pain in the knee. So the instructions are, and the instructions are clearly based on experience. You can't think these things up in the university, you know. Are experiencing the body and calming the body. It's not just experiencing the body, it's experiencing it and calming it. And so in our practice, in that first section, woman and a man, deeply interested in facing life, knowing it really can be challenging, that's part of the purpose of the meditation. Staying as steady as we can, not perfectly, regularly though, as we can, with the mindfulness of breathing in and out, recognizing when it's long, recognizing when it's short. Sometimes when it's long, it's helpful. Sometimes the intention can be, let me take a long, deep in-breath, really filling up the lungs, expanding out the cells, bringing more oxygen to uh, uh, the cells, and it's really, really healthy uh, and uh, important, uh, by the way. It helps to keep the mind clear. It's one of the protections against dementia, against dullness. We need the oxygen life to the cells. We breathe in long, we breathe in uh, deeply, we, breathe, we experience the outgoing breath. Sometimes the breath is quietly short. Sometimes, this is getting to know yourself here, when the breath is short there, it may, may be that there is plenty of calmness, plenty of relaxation with you, and the body actually needs little air. There's enough air in the cells already, and there's calm and relaxation. This is the way you have to know yourself. But it also can be that the short breath is because you're contracted. The short breath is because one is controlling, one is tight, one is resisting discomfort. You freeze, you're tight, the stomach muscles might tighten up, the breath gets shorter uh, there. And it's a way of resisting the discomfort. One might be so-called, successful in resisting. The contraction might keep away that pain, but then you're only going to have to change the posture. A few minutes later, an hour or two later, and that which was resisted, it will be back. It will be back with a vengeance. The harder you push something away, 
the stronger it will come back. To quote that rather clever chap, Mr. Einstein, who once said, so I am told, because I haven't read it, but he said, if you throw a ball hard enough in that direction of the universe, it will eventually come round and hit you at the back of the head. Fortunately, I can't throw a ball very hard, so I take it as a metaphor. Sometimes in life, we resist something or someone so strongly we push it away and we don't realize at some point in our life it's going to come back and hit us on the back of the head. I remember in my romantic idealism as a Buddhist monk in a Dharma hall in Dalhousie in 1974 I still remember what I said I would never I was a monk I will never get into a relationship one I will never have a child two and I will never live in an instantly forgettable little house in a little street <laughs> three I've been in a relationship I've got a daughter and I live in an instantly forgettable little house in a street <laughs> One can say things in life with such conviction, such assurance there, persuade oneself and others. And probably, possibly, if I hadn't said that, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Putting out something with such resistance, it comes around, etc. Be careful what you resist. It may be much closer than you think. It's a phenomena we live in this. So our practice and our exploration in life is the mindfulness of the breathing, mindfulness to shed light. We engage in the meditations, which we'll speak about another time, is includes the reflections and the inquiry and the, and, uh, the teachings. And we want to have an experience of the body, which recognises, as mentioned, the difficult areas. We're not denying those pains and discomforts there. But we also recognise that if we are too much in one part of the body, we will forget or neglect the other part. You may have to ask yourself, is there any area of your life currently which you know you are giving far too much attention to, much too much thought about, and that is at the expense of something else, of other areas of life? Are you giving far too much attention to one area of life and the occupation with it, the preoccupation with it, is that you are forgetting and neglecting other aspects of life which may be far more important than that which you keep thinking about. 
No wonder people are afraid of death. Because mm. it's the fear of, oh my God, I missed out on so much. And it can happen. It can happen. With the mindfulness, and this is, I haven't forgotten concentration, don't go away, I'm nearly there. <laughs> With the mindfulness uh, and the quiet meditative approach, with the four uh, postures. That in the directing of the mindfulness uh, and the sustaining of, it, sustaining of it, meditation, it may require at times, particularly if the pain, if there's pain for you, the capacity <clears throat> to be mindful with a natural intelligence that's the clarity here, of the ability to move the body into another posture mindfully. There's no virtue nor any merit in sitting through and enduring suffering and pain. Uh, there. And though one hears in these slightly mad meditation circles of um, what they call them, aditanas, uh, gets translated, doesn't mean that, but it gets translated, strong determination, sit one hour without moving, sit two hours uh, uh, without uh, uh, moving. This can generate enormous stress and pressure for the, for the body. And even if a person so-called achieves this sitting for this length, length of time because of the, the willpower there will be a price to pay later. All sorts of prices will be paid. So here we meditate, breathing in and breathing out, experiencing the body, calming the body, remembering to give attention to the whole uh, body. And sometimes if you know you're too much on one issue in your life, on some story going on, it's just too much then sometimes to get a little perspective on it, what am I missing out on? What am I forgetting? What am I neglecting? What needs to be nourished and encouraged and, and uh, supported uh, in my life? So I get a perspective on these things which have got exaggerated. This combination... How am I doing? Oh, not bad. This combination of uh, mindfulness and uh, meditation with the other things I'll talk about another time uh, there. there's this word concentration in the English it's a fairly accurate um, um, translation of this word much used with the Buddha called Samadhi S-A-M-A-D-H-I and the breakdown of the word, this is where it applies for all of us here, is Sam means coming together. Coming together. So you have, for those of you who like the Pali, Samatha, coming together in calmness, and Sankara, the action coming together, and um, a few others of those. And so it's coming together on a particular. So sometimes 
you and I in our daily life as well as here we, we require a samadhi and samadhi applies both inwardly and outwardly in the very last discourse of the uh, uh, Buddha in his last I mean his last talk in his dying night yeah. he said this he re- makes reference to the teachings the Dharma both inner and outer there's a strong emphasis on the inner in the western uh, approach but it's not in the original and samadhi that is the quiet power to concentrate on and stay steady uh, with has an inner and outer dimension so when there is the combination of mindfulness meditative sustainable which in all four postures equally this is important all four postures matter uh, equally uh, there that combination of the mindfulness with the meditative approach clear comprehension sustaining it as the Buddha said contributes to a samadhi and when the samadhi goes deeper it will bring deep benefit as deep as it goes as deep as the benefit and that will show itself as happiness with a feeling of depth to it it will feel deep no samadhi could it feels you feel it deep it's not lightweight it's not superficial and with that depth there, there that happiness which comes from that <coughs> is much sweeter than any happiness that you can get through your eyes, ears, nose, tongue or touch it's, for those who know and have a sense of this happiness it <coughs> pardon me, puts into perspective the whole world of pleasure pleasure the hunt for pleasure is kindergarten stuff it's for people who lack depth consumerism is for people whose lives are pretty empty I must say and yet the world of beauty of sights and sounds uh, the beauty of smells and tastes and touch is there and definitely enjoyment uh, is to be found to recognise that but in the deep which is what the samadhi inwardly brings in in the deep the happiness which is there is not dependent on seeing and hearing smelling, tasting and touching what I want it's just not dependent on it it's closer the happiness is deeper and this happiness is a precious contribution and as human beings if we can develop that we will find a right or balanced relationship with this world and if we don't find it sentient life is going to die there's no use telling people we have to end consumerism 
some of us have been preaching that to the cows come home. That will only change when something more deeper is offered. Otherwise people just feel guilty, they feel bad, they feel hopeless, they feel helpless, they feel despair. If one's going to reduce the consuming of the earth through human demand, we have to have the capacity to offer something else which is happier and joyful there to get the world of pleasure into perspective. Otherwise we're just complaining and when people are complaining and complaining and complaining about consumerism, more and more people get unhappy. And what do they do when they get unhappy? They consume more. The people who are complaining about consumers are contributing to it. We have to find other ways as a community, as friends. Meditation is one way of finding the happiness. I'm not so stupid to think everybody should meditate. But we have to find other ways that bring happiness other than the pilgrimage to the shopping mall. And that, that part of the work and the process, this is one, one contribution to finding happiness through the samadhi. And sometimes there is the touch of this happiness. And in the touch of that happiness, one of the signals of the touch of it is, gosh, I'm not making any demands on myself. That's a holiday in itself. And I'm not making demands on others or on life. I'm not making any demands anywhere and I feel happy. And what helps to sustain that, to keep that regular, is the, is the samadhi. And that access to that sense of happiness and quiet joy and, and the sweetnesses of uh, life, the combination of the mindfulnesses and the meditations and its development into the samadhi makes that accessible. What f- what works with it, and one has to remember here, if we go that little bit deeper, mindfulness of breathing, in breath and out breath, long and short, mindfulness of the experiencing of the body, mindfulness of calming of the body, because in our calmness we can turn to the painful areas without the habit. Therefore, we're not feeding it. And sometimes the body, very sweetly, is not in painful sensations. So we're quietly still, quietly steady in the whole uh, being. That combination, mindfulness, meditation, samadhi, is uh, available for us. And if something needs our attention some story or issue in life, we can look at it without the reactivity. The experiencing of the body, the calming of the body, the mindfulness of the breathing, the meditation, uh, that steadiness will give us the opportunity to look at a difficult situation without being reactive to it. And from that we can get some really helpful insights into that.
enough said. Thank you for lending an ear. Let's have a, a quiet minute, shall we? beings with mindful lives. May all beings explore the process of meditation. May all beings know the depths of samadhi. Thank you, uh, everyone.